Good morning, everybody. I am it's lovely to be here. Uh, I've been on holiday for the past week, uh, so it's lovely to be back. Um, shall we pray? Father God, we give you thanks for this that we have received the word of God. Not a human word, but we received it as what it is, really, truly, God's word. And it is a work in us as the believers of Christ. Send your Holy Spirit that we may be transformed to trust you, to be bold in you, to treasure you for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, we are exploring 1 Thessalonians over the um, course of the next four or five weeks. We're going to be working through this letter of Paul's to the church in Thessalonica. Um, it's a very interesting letter because it's one of the earliest letters that was written in the New Testament, although it's about two-thirds of the way through. It was actually one of the very first ones written. And it's full of this pregnant expectation that God is about to come back. They've just seen God revealed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has, has gone away and said, I'll come back soon. And in the letter, in Paul's letter to Thessalonica, he's very, very, very kind of expectant that, that God is going to move again. It's also an interesting letter because it's written to um, a group of people who are, um, the town of Thessalonica was mostly um, um, Soldiers. It was a kind of retirement. It was a retirement city for people who were who were soldiers in the Roman army. So there were powerful people there, and that comes out more and more. And in the passage we've just heard, Paul comes and reminds them of the time that he came with the gospel for the first time. Do you remember that time that I came and told you about the good news of Jesus Christ? And he starts off by saying. You may remember it because I was kicked out of Philippi first, the town down the road. I was kicked out of there for making trouble. And I had to come to you, and I had to come with certain thoughts about how I was going to present to you the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think there's three things that he, 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 he encompasses in this passage about the gospel of Jesus Christ that he brought to them. Firstly, he trusts the gospel. We've heard about trust just now. Secondly, he treasures the gospel. And thirdly, he toils for the gospel. And because they all start with T, I feel like a proper preacher. Three points all begin the same letter. Firstly, he says he trusts the gospel. He says it does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. It's not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our heart. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or a pretext for greed. Underlying this in the text is a sense that the gospel is given not in the same way that the other religions around are. All the other religions that were around at the time were all about trying to please God. If I bring enough of my grain up to, the, up to the altar, maybe I might satisfy God. If I do enough for him, if I give him enough, he'll, sati he'll be satisfied. Whereas in fact, the gospel is the opposite of that. 
God gives freely to us. We don't need to try to satisfy God because he's given us Jesus Christ already. If we gathered up everything that we had, all our belongings and gave it all to God, it would still be a drop in the ocean compared to what God has given us in Jesus Christ. He trusts that the gospel is sufficient. That it's not for himself. One of the reasons that Andrew could trust his mum. Notice he chose his mum and not his dad. Just, just to point that one out. The reason he could trust his mum is because Andrew knew that his mum had his best interests on side. That Jane wasn't doing it for Jane's sake. She was giving the instructions for Andrew's sake, and at one point, Nathaniel's sake. Do we sometimes make what we do here about us? Maybe individually, maybe church becomes about people like me or my friends, but sometimes I think also corporately, we're not inviting people to join a rotor, although there's always rotors that need filling. We're inviting people into a new life in Christ Jesus. Do we trust that that's enough? Do we trust that just confessing Christ with our mouth and believing in our hearts will give us eternal life? Or do we try to sometimes make it about other things? The passage also mentions about flattery. We do not come with voices of flattery. It's so easy to fall into the trap of rather than trying to give people the gospel, we try to first to butter them up a bit, to make them feel nice about themselves. When I was a youth pastor, I had a group of teenagers who suddenly got filled with the Holy Spirit and they were passionate about going to tell as many people about Jesus as they could. And do you know what? It was awful. It was a disaster. All these young people running out and and praying for people down the streets. The parents started to say to me, we need some rules. We We can't just leave young people to tell people about the gospel. We need some limits and some boundaries. I'm not quite sure we did. So in an effort to empower the young people, I got the young people to write, write those rules and regulations, and I read them, and they were awful. <laughs> they were full of, draw alongside someone and be nice to them first, and try to convince them you're a nice person, and then tell them about the, do- the gospel. But we all do that a little bit, don't we? We try to butter people up first, rather than trusting that the gospel is good enough in and of itself. The good news is good news. The good news is good. We don't need to dress it up. We need to start trusting the good news that Jesus Christ is God revealed to us that he died your death, that in rising he gives you a resurrection life is good enough news. It doesn't need a rock concert on top of it to convince people. This may surprise you because I go on, those of you who are regular, I go on about this all the time. But this is the first church that I've ever run Alpha in. Um, everywhere, every other church I've worked for, and this is my fourth church I've worked for, when I've arrived, they've gone, we've run Alpha for a long time and we just want to try something different. Will you, ben, will you develop something different? So I've looked at pretty much all the courses out there in some research. They can, there was one very interesting course called The SITS which they said was the six questions they thought people were asking each other down the pub. One of the questions was, how can God be Holy Trinity? How can God be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Which makes you wonder about what kind of pubs they go to. (laughs) 
And the reason I settle on Alpha is because Alpha tells the gospel. Alpha tells the good news. Even the courses that I wrote myself, I found myself pulling my punches, not fully believing in the good news, not fully believing that actually God could transform. And although Alpha is well-produced and has great production values and it looks really good, fundamentally it comes down to the fact that it tells the good news. And when people come and hear the good news, they are transformed. We need to stop... We need to trust in the good news that the good news will be enough. The message has to be true and honest, without pretense. Telling people that the God they thought was distant has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, that he has died their death and has risen and that they may know his resurrection power. Main point, trust the gospel. The gospel is more trustworthy even than Jane. It will get us through the obstacle course. It will get us safely home. It will get other people home as well. Finally, two more points that come out in this text. It talks about, it talks about the people of Thessalonica being, about, um, uh, being like babies, but actually the text also really is meant, suggesting that, that the message, the gospel, is like a nursing baby. The smallest of the children. You know, you, those little children you grab and you're, you're worried about dropping. Or maybe that's just me. The gospel is something to be nurtured and treasured. And also, it talks about toiling for the gospel. Do you see that in the text? That Paul goes out and he works hard. So this is us our three points, that we should trust the gospel, we should treasure it, and we should toil. Treasure the gospel. Treat it well, like a baby. Nurture it and tend to it. It's easy, particularly for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, to start getting it wrong, to stop nurturing our hearts, and we become moralistic, or we come believing that it's about works, or we become a form of deism, that, that God is somewhere distant, far off. When was the last time you refreshed how you understood the gospel? This is why we do sermons. This is why we have small groups. This is why we encourage as many people to do Alpha regularly, because it refreshes your knowledge of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we can easily forget about it. We can easily make it about something else. And first, lastly, that we will be to toil and be bold about the gospel, to proclaim it outwards. It's not something passive that we receive and keep to ourselves, but we pass it on. Indeed, in passing on our faith, it's often how it grows the most. And I leave you with this about that. About a guy called... Um, I can never pronounce his first name. I, I wrote it out last night, and I got, got to it, and I realised this morning I didn't know how to pronounce his first name. Gillette Penn? Is that how you know? Penn and Teller? Do you know Penn and Teller? Some point, Penn, out of Penn and Teller, is a fierce atheist. He writes that he thinks that, that religion isn't good. He thinks that religion causes problems in the world. I disagree with him in that. Well, religion does cause some problems, but I don't believe that Christian faith does. But Penn writes this. He talks about a time that he did a show, a magic show. He's a magician. He did a magic show. He got someone at the front, um, did some magic with them. And then at the end, that person came to him behind the scenes and said, oh, by the way, I have a Bible for you of a message written about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, 
pen was moved by this man's gesture. He recalled, he was kind, nice and sane. He looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then he gave me a Bible. I've always said, Penn explained, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward, how much you have to hate someone to not evangelize. How much you have to hate someone to believe in everlasting life and believe it's possible and not tell them that. Penn, though, goes on to offer an illustration of a man who's in front of a truck. And although it's socially ought-to-go-and rugby-tackle a man, a stranger, there is a point whereby if he was going to get run over, you would rugby-tackle him and get him out of the way of the truck. How much are we willing to toil? How much are we willing to be bold? How much are we willing to step out of our comfort zone? Because what we have is a message that Jesus Christ has defeated the powers of death and all its corollaries. Every bad thing in this world has been defeated by the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. How can we keep that to ourselves? So, brothers and sisters, may you trust the gospel. It is good news. May you treasure the gospel and let it grow in your hearts. And may you toil for the gospel that many will know the life and freedom that is found in Jesus Christ and known by his Holy Spirit working in us. Amen.